Hi, I'm Lisa DeLay, and you're listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. This is Soul School, Lesson 162, Martin Buber and a Culture's Influence on Time. Today, I'm bringing you some excerpts from Megan Anna Neff's article, Toward an I-Thou Encounter with Time. I found this at theotherjournal.com, and it came out April 22nd of this year. I'll be sure to link to this in the show notes. These show notes will be available to read the full article or to dig deeper into Megan's work and Martin Buber's work. Megan Anna Neff holds an MDiv from Princeton Theological Seminary and a Master of Psych from George Fox University, where she is currently a doctoral candidate. Her research interests include the integration of Christian theology and psychology, 21st century pedagogy, intersubjectivity, and existential philosophy. She enjoys curating digital resources on these topics at meganannneff.org. Her book, Embodying Integration, A Fresh Look at Christianity in the Therapy Room, was recently published by IVP Academic. I'm going to read a few excerpts from her article, and I hope you get a chance to read the full article because it is really insightful and informative, and it takes a twist on time and our cultural influences and our objectification of time and how it influences our behaviors. I thought it was really an insightful perspective, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Megan begins by describing the conversation between her and her son after their family cat has died. And she says, as I lay there holding my son in the throes of his first existential crisis. I thought of Martin Buber as one naturally does. Buber was vexed by the problem of timelessness and the time and time limitlessness at a young age, much as my son struggled to comprehend a world that imposed limits on time. Buber found himself in an existential crisis at the age of 14. His young mind attempting to grasp the nature of time as his thoughts swung back and forth between the incomprehensibility of time's finitude and time's infinity, Buber was so filled with despair that he contemplated suicide. It was during this time that Buber encountered the work of Immanuel Kant. Buber took great solace in Kant's idea that time is not a real property, but rather a construct. The ideas of infinity and finiteness, he realized, are abstractions representing a constellation of irresolvable ideas that don't necessarily correspond to reality. These ideas are not embedded in our experience of time. Rather, we experience time through our sense perception, by which we grasp the world of phenomena. Thus, through Kant, Buber discovered that disconcerning the finite or infinite quality of time doesn't necessarily correspond to the lived reality of being alive. These realizations took on a mystical quality for Buber, one that would have been quite foreign to the rationalist Kant and laid the groundwork for Buber's later development of the eternal thou, eternal thou in quotes. In this way, Buber transcended the dialectic of finite and infinite time to encounter the holy embedded within time. He became less concerned with the philosophical and mathematical properties involved in comprehending time and more interested in contacting time. Instead of attempting to comprehend time, Buber sought to encounter time. This concept of encounter became integral to Buber's work. For Buber, 
One of the highest virtues is to offer oneself to encounter the other, to make an ontological turn toward the other, whether that other be a person, idea, or thing, which requires vulnerability, risk, and trust. Such an encounter means venturing into uncertain spaces with a willingness to be changed and transformed by the other. To enter into these spaces of unknowing and uncertainty is holy work. Buber's commitment to encounter is made more meaningful when understood from the backdrop of his life, as his young life was shaped by an intimate, and here she has a German word, I won't attempt to pronounce, but it's translated, a mismeeting. At the age of three, Buber's mother abandoned him, leaving for a foreign country where she began a new life, starting a new family. This dialectic meeting and mismeeting would eventually frame Buber's work, most famously demonstrated in his development of the I-thou slash I-it frame. On the one hand, in an I-it encounter, we treat the other as an object to be used. Whether that other is a person, an object of creation, an idea, or a tree, in an I-it relationship, we act on the other through the world of objects. On the other hand, I-thou encounters involve turning toward the other with our whole being and thereby recognizing the sacredness and uniqueness of the other. Taking creative liberty with Buber's I-thou, I-it frame opens up conceptual space to consider how we encounter time. Time is culturally situated. If time is a matter of sense perception, as Kant suggested, then it is embedded in context. Our experience of time is influenced by the cultural, social, and relational context from which we experience it. Although this liberates us from some of the philosophical dilemmas to the great relief of Buber, it also opens up new considerations to mull over. For instance, if time is culturally and socially situated, then it is vulnerable to taking on qualities of the culture from which it is situated. Unfortunately for those of us in the Western world, much of our culture and social situatedness is cast through an I-it pragmatic lens. Skipping ahead a little bit, I'll continue with what Megan writes. My productivity-oriented relationship to time has been most profoundly challenged when I have been immersed in other cultural contexts. When living in Malawi, I experienced time differently. When I would go to the market or grocery store with my African host family, I realized they were oriented to time by different values. Being together, I found, was prioritized over efficiency. Gathering groceries was a leisurely, relational, and enjoyable experience. This was a culture that takes time to reflect on heritage and that values the relational quality of the present. As the months I spent in Malawi stretched on, my experience in relationship to time continued to shift. Being immersed in a culture that considers its ancestral roots and the theological and social significance of place, land, and tradition ultimately changed me. The content of my dreams and inner monologue shifted from future-oriented to present-oriented. This process was not the result of any cognitive decision. I wasn't intentionally engaging in mindfulness practices. Rather, this shift resulted from being incubated 
in a culture that supported a different way of being in time. Searching for cultural incubators in an I-IT world. I've now been back in the United States for over 10 years, and I've struggled to maintain that organic I-Thou approach to encounters with time. It seems that in the fast-paced, industrialized Western world, we could use some cultural incubators that support an I-Thou encounter with time. I'll skip a little here and pick up where Megan writes, modernity has taken a grasping approach of time feebly attempting to control, possess, and master it. The poet and essayist Christian Weinman describes contemporary American life as frenzied and fragmented, a, quote, collective ADHD, unquote, culture. The very technologies modernity created to free us up to have more time have merely, quote, degraded the quality, unquote, of time, while exacerbating our collective anxiety. And then, in our feeble attempts to give ourselves respite from the frenzy, we engage in, quote, self-care, unquote, in similar obsessive, frenzied, and panicked ways. Time has become the great object to be used, mastered, owned, and slayed. It has become the it to our eye. These economic and technological shifts have also affected our relationships to ourselves, we routinely draw on economic and technological metaphors to discuss our bodies in time. I'm spent, burned out. I need to recharge, reset. In a secular age, Charles Taylor explores the troubling consequences of this kind of relationship to time and ourselves, saying, the disciplines of modern civilized order have led us to measure and organize time as never before in human history. Time has become a precious resource, not to be, quote, wasted, unquote. That result has been the creation of a tight, ordered time environment. We have constructed an environment in which we live a uniformed, univocal, secular time, which we try to measure and control in order to get things done. This, quote, time frame, unquote, deserves, perhaps more than any other facet of modernity, Weber's famous description of Stolhartus Gehaus, which translates to iron cage. In other words, today's iron cage is built on an I-it encounter with time. I want to suggest, though, that an I-thou encounter, a phenomenological encounter, can break us free of the cage. Phenomenology has to do with our conscious, sensory, lived experiences of the world, Phenomenology concerns itself with how we experience the world and the meaning these experiences hold, whereas an instrumental approach is concerned with using and mastering time. A phenomenological approach emphasizes how we encounter time, our conscious, sensory experience of time. Encountering the world through sensory perception is a risky endeavor. To encounter the world through sensory perception is to invite the world to leave its mark. Such an approach is an invitation to willingly subject oneself to the world and to allow it to shift, change, and transform our inner landscape. Jürgen Moltmann notes that, quote, the act of perception transforms the perceiver, not what is perceived, unquote. That is, when we attempt to grasp and dominate time, we buffer ourselves from a transformative encounter with time. 
But when we perceive time through our senses, we participate in time, inviting it to transform us. Buber felt that to encounter the sacred was not to exit the world. To encounter the sacred was to delve more deeply into the mundane. Encounter involves ontologically turning toward the other with our whole being. As we open ourselves to encounter time differently, we enter the moment more fully, risking being transformed and changed by the experience. For those of us in the Western post-industrialized world, it can be difficult to find communities, rhythms, and rituals that support this way of being in time. Sabbath theology offers a counter-cultural corrective to our fast-paced I-it cultural reference point. And from here, Megan Ann Neff goes on to discuss how reorienting our ideas about work and rest can help us further. And getting a sense and a grasp and living out a kind of Sabbath theology in our lives is a corrective for this I-it relationship we have with time. It's very well stated, it's clever and insightful, and I encourage you to read the full article in the other journal. I will leave a link for this in the show notes at Patreon dot com forward slash spark my muse or this episode soul school 162 these notes are usually for patrons of this program who support the show at a dollar or more but today they will be open to anybody who wants to read them to the general public but if you'd like to donate to my work i sure could use your help and i would very much appreciate it you can get on my newsletter at sparkmymuse.com And that will give you more resources to perhaps get an advanced reader copy. Those will be available in a limited supply. And I'm really excited to start rolling out what will be released eventually in April of 2021. Stay tuned for much more on this book. I'm very excited to get it to you. I think it'll be really helpful. And I'm so excited to begin to speak about it in dialogue with readers. I thank you so much for listening. And feel free to reach out if you'd like to contact me about this episode or anything that I've done on Spark My Muse. You can contact me at contact at sparkmymuse.com. Mm-hmm.